Welcome to Catch the Fire London podcast. We hope as you listen to this message that you will encounter God's transforming presence. Um, come on. <laughs> really Why don't you just stretch out your hand. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the gift to you that Stuart is. I thank you for the gift of life that he is. I thank you for the wisdom he carries. And Father, I ask, would you open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear your word through him today. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, son. <laughs> it's great to be with you uh, again today and to be able to share God's word. Um, two little things struck me. First of all, when I preach in Africa, I'm used to people dancing when they bring the offering out, not just strolling. Okay. Uh, the other thing about preaching in Africa that I love is the fact they don't have one of them on the door, on the wall. Um, you know, it's, uh, so if I, if I see you looking at that too often, I'll know I've gone probably too long. If I can see you getting your diaries out, I know I've definitely gone on too long. So, we're going to be looking today at the fact that, well, I was given the title for this morning, I believe in a lifestyle of joy and freedom. And I believe God led me to look at this particular passage, Galatians chapter 5, which contains both freedom and joy within it. So we're going to read that now, okay? Galatians chapter 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is required to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. <laughs> you, my brothers, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit 
and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited provoking and envying each other. Great words from Paul. Fantastic passage. Those, some of you are too young probably to remember uh, four comedians in America who were Jewish comedians known as the Marx Brothers. Oh, I see some of you nodding already. You do remember them. Groucho Marx said, I never forget a face, but in your case I'll make an exception. <laughs> He also said, I've had a perfectly wonderful evening, but this wasn't it. <laughs> and after having been refused uh, or kicked out of a golf club because of his Jewishness, he said, I refuse to join any club that would have me as a member. <laughs> and that is not a comment on me preaching here this morning. Okay, just say so you know. um, Groucho Marx was uh, just getting into a lift in a hotel in America when he was approached by a Catholic priest who went up to him and said, uh, I want to thank you for all the joy you have put into the world. And Groucho replied, and I want to thank you for all the joy you've taken out of it. <laughs> now, sometimes... Sometimes I hear people's testimonies and they're sort of interesting. Some of you may know the sort of thing I mean. You know, the sort of person who stands and says, you know, before I was a Christian, I was one of the lads. I used to get on my motorbike and we'd go down to Brighton and, and we'd pick up some birds and we'd have a great time under the pier and, and uh, you know, and, and, and I used to get drink too much and I used to smoke too much and, oh boy, I had a life, you know. And then I became a Christian. <laughs> I've given up smoking. I've given up drinking. I get very thirsty, but I've given up drinking. <laughs> I've even given up having coffee, having a powdered milk in my coffee, because it says in the Bible, marvel not. <laughs> now, See, the problem is that that is the way some Christians come across. As if before they knew Jesus, life was so exciting, 
And since they've stopped all of that, and they're now walking with Jesus, you know, they have this deep joy. It's just so deep, they're not quite sure where it is, but they're sure it's there somewhere. <laughs> I don't know about you, I know that before I knew Jesus, I had a life. I did. It wasn't a bad life. But since I've known Jesus, it's a bit like going from watching black and white telly. Do you remember those days? Yeah. You know? For those who are watching in black and white, the pink ball is the one next to the red one. Um, <laughs> but I know that it is. It's like going from black and white to color telly. Yeah. The depth, the experiences, the width of life changes. The American writer, Irma Bombeck, went to church one Sunday and couldn't help noticing a little boy who was looking around and smiling at everyone. He wasn't being naughty or noisy. He wasn't playing around or playing up. He wasn't disturbing anyone. He was just sitting there smiling. But when his mother noticed, she shook him and said in a loud voice, Stop that grinning! You're in church. And then she smacked him and he started to cry. And she said, that's better. And carried on praying. <laughs> and that, sadly, is the impression too many Christians give of how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to be. There is an old um, catechism, it's a, a teaching in the church called the Westminster Catechism, and it says in it, the chief end of man is to know God and enjoy him forever. Isn't that great? Yeah. You see, there's been good stuff in the church for 2,000 years. <laughs> no matter how many times we've mucked it up, the church has got stuff right. The chief end of man is to know God and to enjoy him forever. And that is the heart of this thing called joy. The comedian Lenny Bruce once shared his philosophy of life like this. Look, you have only 65 years to live. Before you're 20, you can't enjoy anything because you don't know what's going on. After you're 50, you can't enjoy either because you don't have the physical energies. So you only have around 25 years and I'm going to swing. He died of an overdose of morphine at the age of 40. You see, if your experience of what you're pursuing is happiness in life and at any cost, trust me, you ain't going to find it. Because happiness is based on happenings. And as long as good things are happening, you feel happy. And there's been so many TV programs about that, hasn't there? You know, these are the people who have a happy life. But the joy that God gives is not based on happenings, except one happening, which I'll come to in a minute. We are to know joy because of who God is and because we're getting to know him. The most common word for joy in the Old Testament is summer, and it means rejoice. Primarily, it conveys the attitude of rejoicing in Yahweh. 
for who he is and for what he has done. Another word is ronan, which occurs around 50 times, and it means to sing or shout for joy. And it's, and it's used when people are responding to God. When we respond to God and we let rip, <laughs> either in song or in shouting, that's because that's where there is joy in who God is. Now in the New Testament, the word is Cairo. And it means rejoice or be glad. It's a feeling of well-being. And you read it in verses like uh, John 3.29. It's the parable of the bridegroom who rejoices. He's full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. Yeah, he's made up. <laughs> the bridegroom's at last come and he is for it. Yes, that's this word. Rejoicing at God's fulfillment of his promise to provide a Messiah. In John 8, 56, Jesus says, Abraham rejoiced to see his day, i.e. the day of Jesus. The Messiah has come, the Christ. He is here in the flesh, the great I am. Now, Kara is a noun derived from Kaira. <laughs> Don't worry about that too much. But the indwelling of the Holy Spirit causes this joy and outworking of his life in us. And it causes the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, to grow in us. One segment of which is, if you were listening when we got to the end of that passage, if you haven't given it up halfway through, is joy. It's a part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's joy. You see, if you want to know joy in life, it's not out there, it's in God. There is kara, joy, in heaven over every sinner who repents. Yeah. That's when they throw a party. There is kara in discovering the riches of the kingdom. Matthew 13, 44. There is, in Colossians 1.11, there is kara, joy, in perseverance, hanging on in there. Joy is something that grows in us as we remain in Jesus and in his will. C.S. Lewis, who I think was one of the greatest writers of the last century, you know, he wrote the Narnia Tales? Yeah. yeah. He said, if you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. They are not a sort of prize which God could, if he chose, just hand out to anyone. Yeah. So he said, oh God, make me joyful. He says, yeah, come on board. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not something that says, oh, I'll give you a bit of joy, all right? <laughs> he wants you to be in him, and then you can know his joy. Many folk are pursuing happiness in the world. Jesus doesn't offer that. 
offers joy through being in him. If you want to know the real secret of real joy, it is in seeking the kingdom of God. For then these other things will be given to you. Let me tell you about a lady I met in South Africa. I spent two months living in the back townships in South Africa when apartheid was still in place. Often I was the only white face among hundreds of thousands of black faces. But I went to the home of Martha. Martha at that time was 60 years old. She was working for a white family as their housekeeper. And uh, she lived in a home that was made of corrugated iron and cardboard and bits of wood. She had no electricity. And uh, the family that she worked for decided they were going to move further away. And they said, we want you to keep working for us. And she said, but the cost of the bus fare and the time it's going to take, that's just not functioning. You know, I can't do that. So they said, that's okay, you can sleep in the laundry Monday to Friday and go home for the weekend. So that's what she did, this lovely Martha. She went home to her husband who was 70 years of age and at that time had not yet received any pension. A home that she shared with her two daughters and her grandchildren. The reason I was at her house, her shack, was because she wanted me to go and do a Bible study in her home so that she could invite the neighbours in so they could know about Jesus. Now, I said to Martha, you know, there's people in England who will say, how can you believe in a God of love when your life is like this? And Martha said, I believe in him. I believe in him because I know him. <laughs> And then she said, and if you took him away from him, I'd have nothing. Yeah. Brothers and sisters, one of our problems, I think, in the West today is the fact we've got so much stuff, we pursue so much stuff, that we don't know Jesus properly. Yeah. Our lives get filled with so much other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You want to know Jesus? Get into the life of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Stop pursuing and filling your life up with all this other stuff. Martha was one of the loveliest, joyful people I've met. But most of us wouldn't want her lifestyle. But she knew Jesus. So joy. Pursuing joy. And then a lifestyle of freedom. What on earth does that mean? You see, the Jews who were included in who Paul was writing to were afraid that the gospel of Christ might undermine the great ethical force which came from God in the law. They had a fear that the Christian life would not offer enough defense against the ethical normlessness of paganism. And we should be aware of the same concerns today about normlessness of the secular post-Christendom society that we inhabit. So Paul stresses the sufficiency of the gospel of Christ, including the necessity of an ethical life 
and the interrelationships that we are to enjoy. Now, I realize that's quite a mouthful what I've just said, you know. But it's saying that, that Paul knew that there were people who were frightened, that people would just say, freedom, that means we can go and do whatever we like. And Paul says, uh-uh, that's not freedom. Christianity has an ethical um, aspect to it, that we are still under the law of God. We are under the law of love. How we treat one another is important. There's a guy called John Dominic Crossan. He's a brilliant New Testament scholar. And he says about the human condition in the postmodern era that we inhabit. There is no lighthouse keeper. There is no lighthouse. There is no dry land. There are only people living on rafts made from their own imaginations. And there is the sea. That's where we're at today. People adrift in a sea where there are no ethical imperatives, where there are no absolutes. People just make it up for themselves as they go along, and they call that freedom. Brothers and sisters, that's not freedom, that's anarchy. But that's the culture that we live in as Christians. And it gets into us, doesn't it? We start to think freedom means we can do whatever we like. No, that's not freedom. It's freedom from sin and death. It's freedom from knowing that hell has been dealt with. It's freedom from having to do the wrong things. I remember a young guy saying to me on one occasion after we'd become a Christian, he said, you know, I've discovered that I'm now free to not drive over 70 miles an hour. <laughs> I met a young guy in Worm and Scrubs. Jill used to sing in a, in a band, and uh, for a little while they became the most popular band in Worm and Scrubs. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't prisoners themselves, I guess. I got to know some of the inmates who were lifers. And I met this guy called Dave, and the first time I met Dave, oh, you know, he's all over here, and he couldn't look me in the face, and he was saying this and that, and, all. and he, was, he told me about why he was in there, and I'm not going to repeat it, it wasn't nice. But then, Dave met Jesus. And another time I went in and he was, I oh, said, oh, it's so good knowing Jesus. See, whereas before he couldn't come in, now he was looking me straight in the eye. And he said, you know, I'm more free now in here than I was when I was out there. Yeah, that's freedom, isn't it? Yeah. Now you're free in Jesus. But you see, this freedom, in, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under God's law. In Galatians 5, he says, It is for freedom, the way we started today, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Yeah? No. At this point, I've got to look at my watch. Oh, all right. <laughs> okay. You see, because 
the, the Jewish education system was based on the idea that until you were 13 years of age and you were bar mitzvahs, that's for the lads, by the way, sorry girls, not much of an education system for you. But the lads did get educated until they were 13. They were expected to learn all the Torah. So they were to know all those first five books of the Bible. If you got to 13 and you were really, really good, you would go on to further education. That meant you would learn the rest of the Old Testament, or the Bible as they would call it. Okay? If, on the other hand, you were not going to go on, you would go back to your parents' business. You know, from then on, you were part of dad's business. We meet a group of young teenagers who are high school dropouts when Jesus comes along and meets with them. Now, to understand even more about the background of that, you have to know that everybody wanted to become a disciple of a rabbi. And the rabbi would come along and go to those who had gone through their up to 13, then they'd done their high school education, and then if they were really good, their teacher would recommend them to another rabbi. So this group of teenagers are back in their dad's business because they dropped out. They didn't go beyond 13. They went back into their dad's fishing business. And then one day, this new rabbi on the block comes along and says, follow me. Which was the very thing that the rabbi would say to instruct someone to become a new disciple. Now, to become a disciple of a rabbi was kind of like winning Britain's Got Talent. That's what every young person wanted. Every young guy wanted, I want to do that. So Jesus comes along to these guys who had already given up on all of that and says, follow me. Can you understand the excitement in these teenagers? Wow, Jesus, the new rabbi on the block, wants me to be one of his disciples. Whoa. And so he says to them, follow me. And another thing that he says to them is, take my yoke upon you. Now the yoke was the teaching of the disciple, of the rabbi. So that's the way it worked, that the rabbi would say, my yoke is my teaching. So you became a disciple of a rabbi and you would take their yoke upon you. And Jesus says to them, take my yoke upon you. Now to take the yoke of a rabbi upon you wasn't to have freedom but it was to have the right guidelines. Except every other rabbi put their yoke upon their disciples and it didn't fit very well. But when Jesus comes, he says, my yoke fits. My yoke is what you need. My yoke will be your comfort. So we've got these bunch of people who discovered that freedom didn't mean do whatever you like. It was the freedom to reject what's wrong and live under the Christ. Yeah, now, in this passage, Paul says, so I say, it's in verse 16, so I say. Why does he say, so I say? Because he's looking back on what he's already said. Makes sense, doesn't it? 
Because of all that, so I say. So the so I say that he says is verses 13 to 15, we either indulge the sinful nature or we serve each other. We love or we bite. We build each other up or we devour each other. You see? There's an option here, isn't there? <laughs> There's an option. Either living in Christ, living in the Spirit, discovering these things, or still our lives being controlled by our sinful nature. And he starts to spell out what does he mean by this sinful nature, which is in conflict with the life of the Spirit. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you'll know about that conflict. Amen? Yeah. We know there's conflict. We know there are things that we want to do that we know we shouldn't do. The acts of the sinful nature. And as we read that list in this chapter... Some of you are probably thinking, no, not tick that one, not tick that one, maybe that one. You know. <laughs> Several main areas are highlighted. Sexual aberrations. Idolatry and enmities falling out. Strife, jealousy and reveling. Drunkenness and orgies. Living by the Spirit is a life of grace which is in conflict to our old sinful nature. Life in the spirit means putting to death that old nature. It is a life that does not want to be independent, but rejoices in being under the discipline of God the Father. It has no wish to lord it over anyone, but is prepared to live subject to the will of God and for the love of the Lord to humbly submit. That's the life of the Spirit, which is quite different to the life of the old sinful nature. The sinful nature labours for its own good and see, looks to see what advantage it can get from somebody else. Life in the Spirit is a life of grace that seeks rather for what will do the most good for others. Nature is always ready to accept respect and honour. But the life of the Spirit faithfully attributes all honour and glory to God. Nature likes idleness and ease. But the life of the Spirit gladly undertakes all kinds of toil. I had the privilege of sitting behind Billy Graham on one occasion when he was preaching. I can see his notes. <laughs> Fascinating. Tell more about that another time, maybe. But he said, which I'll never forget, no Christian should ever be bored. Because there is always someone who needs to be shown or to hear of the love of God. Mm. Our old nature says, oh, just shut up and leave me alone. <laughs> I know I deserve this. <laughs> but the life of the Spirit knows there's always more to do. More people who need to be shown the love of God. More people who need to hear of the love of God. Nature is eager to possess stuff. The life of the Spirit does not refuse to put on worn-out clothes. Nature is greedy and is more ready to receive than to give. 
It loves exclusive, unshared things, whereas the life of the Spirit is loving and generous. Nature wants worldly advantages, unhappy when it suffers loss, and any slighting word can make it angry. Hmm? Trust me, I've been in enough church meetings <laughs> to have seen nature rearing its ugly head. You can't talk to me like that, don't you know who I am? I'm the pastor, I'm the deacon, I'm an elder, I'm the worship leader. You can't talk to me like that. Wrong. <laughs> That's the old nature coming to the fore, being defensive. I don't deserve honour and praise from anyone. I'm a servant of Jesus. Nature cannot do anything for nothing, but is always hoping something as good or better, some praise or favour in return for its good deeds. It wants anything it does or gives to be appreciated. Are we serving or are we manipulating? Are we trying to get something out of other people? You see, the life of the spirit, as opposed to the life of our old human nature, the life of the spirit is a supernatural light, a special gift of God. It is the seal of the elect and a pledge of eternal salvation. It raises us from earthly things to the love of heavenly things. And it makes spiritual where we were once unspiritual before. And so we changed. But that conflict is, is ongoing, isn't it? Sorry about this one. I've got to finish. <laughs> Look, um, two guys were going through the jungle and they met a guy. They were, they were there as missionaries and they met this guy. This guy was sitting by a fire. And on that fire he had a bowl. And in that bowl he had something that was clearly cooking. So they went over and wanted to know, what on earth are you doing? And he said, look, oh, what I'm doing is I've got silver oil in this bowl. And the fire melts it. Oh, God, then what happens next? He said, well, all the impurities come to the surface. Wow, what do you do then? He said, well, I just skim them off. Because all I want is silver. I don't want all this dross. I said, okay, so, so you just sit there and you heat it up. Yeah, all the impurities come to the surface. Yeah, and you, and you do what? I just skim them off. Well, how do you know when all the impurities and the dross have come out and what you've got left is pure silver? He said, Oh, I know that. When I look into the, into the bowl and I can see my own face reflected. You see, in the Bible, the word sutso means salvation. And it occurs in three tenses. It says, sutso, past tense, I have been saved. Hallelujah. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross for me, I have been saved. Amen? Amen. Are you sure? <laughs> I have been saved. Amen? Amen. Amen. Right, but it also comes in the future tense where it says, I am going to be saved. On that day when I stand before Almighty God because of Jesus, I will be saved. Yeah. Yeah. But it also occurs in the present continuous tense. That is to say, I am being saved. I am being saved. Now the posh word for that, if you want to be theological about this, is sanctification. 
Okay. I am being sanctified. All it means is that there is a process going on by which I am being saved. That process by which I am being saved is the same as the guy with the silver in the bowl and that God is bringing the impurities up to the top so he can skim them off and get rid of them. Because there is a day coming when God the Father will look at your life and will see the face of Jesus reflected. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. But brothers and sisters, when that fire gets applied to our lives, we don't always like it. You know, you're in a traffic jam and someone's cut you up and someone else has blasted the head, and the words that come out of your mouth are not gracious words. You're in the house and the doorbell goes and the kids are screaming and the cooker's boiling over and the telephone rings. You see, heat gets applied. In our relationships, heat gets replied, gets applied. And what do we do when the dross comes to the surface? We either say, yes, Lord, I am like that. That's my old nature. Skim it away. I don't want it. Forgive me, Lord. Take it away. Or what sometimes happens is we try and push it back down underneath the surface. Yeah? Oh, I'm not like that. That's not me at all. I'm a nice person. It's because they rang the doorbell. It's because that my partner did something. It's because somebody in the church says something. And we push it all back down. And if we push it back down, it doesn't get dealt with. It's because we have a gracious father who wants the dross to come out. But he will take away when we hand it over to him. That's sanctification. That's I am being saved. So, the last bit of this passage is the fruit of the Spirit. Because it said there's this life of the old nature that's in conflict to the life of the Spirit. And if we want to engage in the life of the Spirit, we want the life of the Spirit to be flowing through us, it's going to produce fruit. Yeah. So how many fruit of the Spirit are there? You've just read the passage. How many fruit of the Spirit are there? Nine? Interesting. In the... Uh, if, you listen, if you read it very carefully, you will see it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. It doesn't say anything about fruits of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit. It's a bit like this thing. I can put that down for a moment. This is a fruit. And when you open it up, it's got segments. Yeah? Are you with me still? Yeah. Am I loud enough for you all? Okay, so once you open up the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, you find peace, joy, kindness, You don't get to pick and choose and say, well, I'll be kind this week. <laughs> I need a bit of joy. Folks, this is the fruit of the Spirit. It's one fruit and it's got segments and it happens because the life of the Spirit is flowing through you. You don't walk past an orange tree and see it straining to produce an orange. Yeah. <laughs> And out pops an orange. It doesn't work like that. The life of the tree comes up, down through the branch, and out comes an orange. Eventually it grows. And when you're in Christ, and when his spirit is flowing up through you, it produces a harvest of fruit. Not by your effort, but by the effort of the spirit of God. 
He just wants you to be in him and willing to be that channel that he uses. But brothers and sisters, an orange tree does not produce oranges for itself. You walk through past an orange tree, it's not simply going, oh, I could do with a real nice orange at the moment, I could just produce an orange. It produces oranges to bear more orange trees. The fruit of the orange trees bless you if you like oranges. It blesses others. Your life is to be so in Jesus, so that the life of the Spirit is for You don't walk around going, oh, I've got kindness. I've got so much self-control. <laughs> Folks, it's not given for you, it's given for the people around you. So that your life becomes a blessing to others. So that the members of your family start to be blessed with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. Yeah, yeah, amen. That's what we want in our homes. Because you are a channel for him to produce fruit. Not for your benefit. So it's all right saying, I'm talking about pursuing a life of joy. <laughs> you produce a life of joy for others. And then you will experience joy. Where you work needs the fruit of the Spirit. And you are there to make sure they get fed. The street that you live in needs the fruit of the Spirit. And you are the very channel through which the Spirit will bring about a harvest. That harvest means that there will be people around you who are experiencing love and all its segments, joy, peace. Your workplace will become a more peaceful place. Doesn't it need it? Yeah. Pinner needs more joy. This country that we live in, boy, could they do with some more self-control. Our government could do with some more self-control. We can pursue freedom and happiness in the way of the world, following the old sinful nature, in which case we are no different from the world and have nothing to offer. Or we can rejoice in following Jesus. Our Father wants us to experience the joy and freedom of being in the life of the Spirit and the life of the Spirit being in us. I believe in a lifestyle of joy and freedom, of rejoicing in what Jesus has done for me, in the indwelling of his Spirit and the new life that he has given me, and in the freedom to live under his yoke and make a difference in this world. If God's been speaking to you, who's in control? What are you pursuing? Do you want to see a harvest of the fruit of the Spirit in our world and in our surroundings? You know, if you do not have Jesus as your Savior and Lord, then I would ask you, please, to accept him. Because that's the only way you'll discover real joy and peace and freedom, is in Jesus. But if you actually believe in making the world a better place, I would say that it's just the same. You need Jesus to give you the resources to make this world a better place.
If you want to be alive in the Spirit and have not experienced Him, then you need someone to pray with you. If you know that the conflict between your old nature and the life of the Spirit has meant that you are struggling or have not been bearing fruit, then you need someone to pray for you. Because He loves you. And He loves the world that you live in. He didn't just die for you. He died for the world. Amen. Yeah, I'm going to pray. And then if you want someone to pray with you afterwards, don't just dash away. I know some of you are dying to get down to um, something's brewing. Uh, others of you are dying to go home and have some dinner. But if God's spoken to you this morning, please don't just leave when somebody from the team here will pray for you. But I'm going to pray for all of us now. Father God, thank you for all that you've done for us in Jesus. Thank you for the life of the Spirit that you want to release in us to bless our homes, our streets, our families, our workplaces. Father God, we come to you and say, please hear our prayer. And let us be truly in your Son and the life of your Spirit truly in us. And Father, if anyone here has felt no, the wrong life's in control, then Father, give them the courage to reach out now and to receive from your gracious hand.